Hey friend, really, really humbled by this podcast with Seth Godin. If you Google Seth on any search engine, you will immediately find Seth Godin and his daily blog. Yes, a daily blog. It is one of the most popular blogs in the world. He has written 19 best-selling books, including The Dip, Lynchpin, Purple Cow, and his latest book, This Is Marketing. Seth's portfolio of work is truly inspiring. I'm grateful to have been a student in some of Seth's leading online workshops, like the Alt-MBA and the Podcasting Fellowship, which is where my podcast was created and incubated during the summer of 2018. It's been an honor to serve as a coach in the Podcasting Fellowship. Please head to akimbo.com to learn more and podcastclub.link, podcastclub.link to specifically learn more about the Podcasting Fellowship. A few other topics we discuss here are taking ownership of one's career, Seth's breakdown of what a career is, podcasting, doing projects, key skills, shipping the work, and so much more. As always, this episode with timestamp notes is available on my website at PortfolioCareerPodcast.com. There, you can also subscribe to my monthly newsletter. Really excited for you to build and grow your portfolio career with the one and only Seth Godin. How's it going, Seth? Fantastic, but getting better. Thank you for having me. Yeah, welcome to uh, Portfolio Career Podcast, Seth. Um, so, Seth, if we were to go to an event tonight, how do you uh, typically introduce yourself? Well, you know, I, I'm not a big fan of the elevator pitch because I don't think anyone buys anything on an elevator. You're way more productive with an elevator question, meaning how do you say something to people that tantalizes them enough that they want to have a conversation? So if I'm at an event, that's my goal. So I would say I'm a teacher. Great. Okay. I'm a grateful beneficiary of uh, your workshops. And uh, I would also like to take this uh, moment to say thank you for all of your work, um, the podcasting fellowship, Alt-MBA, your blog. Thank yeah. you so much for all of your... Um, You're quite welcome. It's people like you that are why we do it. Amazing. Thank you so much. Um, and so, Seth, what I'd love to do on Portfolio Career Podcast, I'd love to talk about kind of taking ownership of one's career. Sure. Who else is going to do it if you don't? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So maybe could you talk to us a little bit more about how can one take ownership of one's career and um, some ways to kind of move forward with the current world with lack of gatekeepers? So let's think about what a career is to begin with. We know what a career used to be, that if 40 years after you graduated from Juilliard, you wanted to be playing at Carnegie Hall, you needed to get into the junior orchestra and then the senior orchestra and then from third to second to first violin and, and there were buttons to press along the way. And that the traditional model is based on uh, jobs that last 10 or 20 years and shifts when necessary to move up a very simple ladder. And that deal was not broken by workers, that deal was broken by employers. That industries change fast, the jobs don't last very long, and no one is looking out for your career. In the 1960s or 70s, it wasn't unusual to have someone take you out for lunch and talk about how you could develop your career at the company where you work. That's not true anymore. So I'm going to start with this. 
I think your career is not a collection of jobs in a row. I think your career is a combination of who trusts you, what work is in your portfolio, and what skills do you have? Those three things. If you are really good at a handful of things, really, really good, off the charts good, and there are enough people who trust that that is true, you will never have trouble looking for a job, ever. People will find you and seek you out and drag you in. That the secret of getting an agent in Hollywood is not going to look for an agent in Hollywood. As Brian Koppelman says, the secret is doing work so good that agents call you. And the same thing is true for software engineers. Same thing is true for graphic artists. I can go down the list. So it's those three things. Being trusted, building a portfolio of actual work you can point to, not simply make assertions about, and developing specific skills. Okay. And I've been able to create a portfolio of work through the portfolio, no pun intended, the Portfolio Career Podcast um, through uh, a workshop of yours where I also learned many, many skills. Um, I'd love to learn just a little bit more about the podcasting fellowship and why you think creating a podcast um, is useful for, for people. So we're doing it for the fourth time now. Alex De Palma is my partner on this. Alex is the producer of my Akimbo podcast and many others. And uh, I did my first podcast about 10 years ago. A podcast is a little bit like a blog, except it's harder to do and fewer people will engage with it. However, it's super important, even if you only end up with 50 people listening to you. And there are two reasons for that. The first is, but maybe more than two. The first is, it gives you a safe, inexpensive way to get into the project mindset, to be able to say, I made this. And that's super important. No one cares if you have some pictures on Instagram. But when you have a podcast that you have put the work into and you can point to it and say, I made this, you're pointing it to yourself too to say, I can't believe it, but I did it. I showed up and I showed up and now there's 100 episodes. The second thing that a podcast gives you in our culture today is permission to reach out to people and interview them. And this is super powerful. That if you want to make an impact in an industry and you can earn the privilege of getting leaders in that industry to talk to you about their work, about what they seek to accomplish, you are building trust and awareness and intimacy with that circle of people you seek. So that's really cool. And I guess the third thing is that, like a blog, if you wake up in the morning knowing you're going to make a podcast this week, it's quite likely you will develop a point of view. Quite likely you will get good at making assertions. And these are life skills. So the Podcasting Fellowship, you know, we can teach you everything you need to know about using a microphone in about an hour. So what's the rest of it about? And what it's about is getting that story in your head correct, getting over the hump and learning to publish. And so we've had almost a thousand people, give or take, graduate so far. And what those thousand people have done over the course of weeks working with each other is record the work and ship the work. And we've had some that have ended up on the iTunes top lists, but that's not the point. The point is that in your head, you now know what it means to ship the work. And that goes back to the, the project mindset and making assertions. Yeah, I mean, remember... The old model is coherent. Industrialists needed school. 
So they would have compliant factory workers. They organized school to get you to comply. Then they went to the placement office to recruit you. And then they took care of your career. And then you died. And none of those things are true anymore. So if you're not going to look out for your career, who is? Mm -hmm. Okay. And uh, going back to that taking ownership of your career and kind of being your own boss, um, I've read maybe five or six times a, a blog post of yours from December 2010 um, titled Your World's Worst Boss. Yeah. <laughs> that was a good one. Um, and uh, the second line is, that would be you. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, and so it, I can paraphrase it a little bit and I'll put it in the show notes, but, you know, you say whether you're an owner, self-employed, et cetera, you know, you manage your own time, your own career, your own resources, you make your own decisions, um, you're your own boss. And the last paragraph is there are a few good books on being a good manager, fewer still on managing yourself. It's hard to think of a more essential thing to learn. How can listeners, how can listeners knowing that they are their own boss and hopefully taking ownership of that, with that mindset, how can we move forward? How can we make progress? How can we make things better knowing that we are our own world's worst boss? Well, um, and I haven't looked at the post in a little bit, but my favorite line is the one that says, if you had a real boss that treated you the way you treat yourself, you'd quit, right? That we are really harsh and erratic when we act as our own boss. The art here is realizing that you only get today once, you don't get tomorrow over again. And what are you going to do with it? Because that's your asset. That's your resource. It's the one thing our economy hasn't taken away from you yet. So if you need a buddy or three buddies or a mastermind group, go form one. But finding people you can say out loud, my plan is to do this and then do this and then do this and learn that and learn this and then do that and contribute this. Most people never say that out loud. And the act of saying it out loud is incredibly powerful. So find the support you need to have that conversation because I think that's where it begins. And is that, to me, as a, a beneficiary of the Akimbo workshops, it feels that peer-to-peer -peer learning, that peer-to-peer -peer coaching can help myself and help others move forward. And it seems like that's, is that, do you think that that's been a, a driver for creating some of the Akimbo workshops to help people become a better boss of themselves? Well, that's that's the secret of the whole thing. Don't tell anybody. Um, you know, I can put videos on YouTube for free. I can write a blog every day. In fact, I do. The purpose of the workshops is to surround people with other people and to get people comfortable with the idea of making assertions in a safe place. Because most people don't. They fear their review with their boss. They only talk about the weekend with their fellow employees. They hide things from their spouse. Because we're afraid if we say it out loud, we'll get in trouble or our dreams won't come true or whatever it is. But it's the only way to be able to test your assertions. Okay. Um, and another, another uh, blog post that I'd love to talk about um, is, and you talked about skills and creating projects and a portfolio. Um, one of your blog posts titled 30 Years of Projects. Um, yeah. And I'll, I'll link it in the show notes. There's uh, just an 
an inspiring and incredible body of work there. If somebody has the skills, how can people look to find incredible projects to work on? It's easy to say I'm an exception because I've been self-employed for a long time and because I was a book packager for a long time and that's what book packagers do. So I did 120 books in 10 years. That was my job. But I would like to argue that none of that matters. That let's say you're a copywriter, that you want to write direct mail copy. Well, the zoo down the street or the women's shelter or the kids' play space all need your copywriting skills on a volunteer basis. And if you could write a series of three letters on behalf of a charity that raised $100,000, it wouldn't take you very long, but it would be a project. And you'd have to do it really well to raise $100,000. Why isn't that in your portfolio? Right? That if you want to make it as a comedian, and there was just somebody I read about in the Times the other day who's desperately hoping that some network will call her back. Don't wait for a network to call you back, right? You grab your phone, you aim at yourself, you make something funny, and you put it on YouTube. And Alana Glazer is my second cousin. She's the woman from Broad City. The way that Broad City happened is Alana Glazer and her brother made a video. And that video was funny and it got seen on YouTube and then the word spread. So that belongs on her list of 30 years of projects. She didn't need to know anybody. You don't need to know anybody to do a project, whether it's a one day project or a one year project. My friend Sarah came up with a, a, a project on behalf of an idea that she had that's sort of funny and very profound. And she went to Union Square, brought bought a little bit of printing, made a little bit of video. It's terrific. And that's one of her projects. You can make projects. You don't need anyone's permission. And then the getting better projects and better clients is then showcasing your work, talking about it, how you added value, getting the word to spread. Yeah, I mean, I've hired thousands of people through the years. And almost everyone who shows up says, one of several things, or several of several things. One, I currently work for a famous organization. You've heard of them. That doesn't count. I currently work for a not famous organization. This is what we do. That doesn't count. Uh, I really need this job. That doesn't count. Or I'm really good at interviewing. Let me show you. That doesn't count. Show me what you have done, actually done. Because even if you're 19, you've had time to actually do something. That's what I want to hire. I don't want to hire someone who's good at interviewing. I'm hopefully getting a little bit better at interviewing. And uh, uh, different, kind, different kind of interviewing. <laughs> you're asking questions. Um, okay. And so if somebody's working at... Um, actually, let's take a step back here. I think another thing that's really interesting about taking ownership of one's portfolio career is having great jobs and, and great linchpin-like jobs. Um, and I love the newsletter you send out, love linchpin, uh, the book. Maybe talk to us about how can someone become a linchpin on their own? Okay, so what's a linchpin? A linchpin is somebody who brings emotional labor to work, to do work that other people would miss if they were gone. That means you're going beyond spec. If you are a pilot, and you fly the plane from here to there without crashing it, that's your job. But if you are a pilot 
And when you hear from the flight attendant that someone in row 17 is afraid of flying, and you walk back before the plane takes off and sit with that person for five minutes and talk to them about your previous fear of flying, and that person goes on to be okay with it, now you're a linchpin. Because that's not in your job description, but that woman, and my friend Susan is that woman, will remember you for years and still keeps your business card in her wallet. And what's important to understand about this is there are very few jobs where you are not allowed to be a linchpin. In most jobs, you could do it if you wanted to. But if you show up with the perception that this company is ripping me off and I'll give them as little as they're giving me, you think you might be winning because you're giving them less than you have to or less than you can. But you're not winning, you're losing because you just lost the chance to do a project today that you'll be able to talk about 20 years from now. So just about every job is a platform for connecting with people, for making a difference, for doing more than you have to. And that is how I think you become a linchpin at work. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's, it's interesting though, right? It's like there's all these job descriptions and they want you to kind of fit into this, this system and, you right. know, they're like, do you have, you need to have these skills. And you're like, just give me the chance. Like, I'll, I'll, you know, I have those skills and more. Give me the chance and I'll show you. Right. So I got to interject here for one second. If you are applying for a job by sending a resume to a email address that you saw in an ad, you're not going to get the job you deserve. Because your resume is going to be read by a computer. And it will check to see if you match a whole bunch of checklist items. You don't want to apply for those jobs because that's like winning the lottery. Instead, you want to figure out how to know the right person who invents a job for you or know the right person so that when a job is open before they list it, they call you. And they're going to do that once they see that you have something to contribute. And people say, well, that only happens at little companies. So I'll tell you what someone at Intel told me 20 years ago. At the time, Intel was in a hiring spree because their chips were doing well. And there was a huge shortage of people who were good enough to design that kind of work. So they gave the top managers at Intel these cards. I don't know if they were blue or yellow. And the card said, whenever you are ready, we'll hire you. Just show us this card. And if an Intel executive met someone at a conference, or at a trade show, who was a rock star, they would hand her the card and say, I know you're not looking for a job right now, but one day you're going to need a job and this card gets you a job. The end. We don't need to interview you. We already did. And if Intel is able to do that, then most companies are on either side of the equation, buying or selling. And we keep lying to ourselves because we say, The most important asset we have is people, but then we treat our people like machines. That's a fascinating story. I was thinking the same thing, that uh, getting work by who you are would only really happen at small companies, by uh, a small startup, a small nonprofit, um, a friend with a project kind of thing. I never really, I I hadn't thought about it as much as a big company. Yeah, or you know... Ruth Reichel didn't apply for the job of editor-in-chief of Gourmet Magazine, I can guarantee you, right? That when you think about CEOs getting hired, CEOs at Fortune 500 companies aren't sending in resumes over the transom, 
hoping to be the next CEO of GE. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't have to work that way for you either. Okay. All right. Um, so in addition to a podcast and a blog, are there other things that you think are valuable in terms of assets that, that gain enrollment, give permission, and create possibility and opportunities? Oh, I think there are tons of them. You know, anytime you are organizing, then the people you are organizing need you in the middle of the circle. So organizing a book group, organizing a walking tour of downtown Manhattan, organizing a conference, organizing, make a list. We don't have enough impresarios. We don't have enough people who say, I'm going to go do this. Who's coming with me? And you don't need money to do this. You just need the practice of saying, I'm the one who organizes. Another example I'll give you. Back in the day before the internet, AOL was the internet. And the difference was AOL got paid by its users, so AOL paid its providers, the people who made the stuff. And they had this big convention, and they invited 1,000 of us, the people who made the content, to a convention. And one guy, Tom, said, what an opportunity. He rented a suite in the hotel, and he invited 50 other people who made content for AOL to come without any AOL people there so we could all talk about what was in our contracts with each other so that everyone's contract could get better, right? That's a no-brainer. I ran into Tom a week ago. I mean, we've known each other now for 30 years because he organized something, and he organized something that was mutually beneficial. So you don't have to be a broadcaster to strangers. That would be great. That's why we run the podcasting fellowship. But you do need to be an organizer or something. Okay. Not enough impresarios. That's a, that's a helpful um, takeaway for people. Um, all right, Seth. And so one other thing, you, in the beginning, you talked about skills. And I love your, the content you put on about real skills versus soft skills. Um, Maybe you could talk to us a little bit about some skills that are valuable in today's connection and connection economy. Sure. So a hard skill is uh, being able to make a paper-thin crepe. A hard skill is being able to calculate the orbit of the lunar module. Uh, A hard skill is being able to speak seven languages. Real skills are more universal. They are hardworking, honest, empathic dedicated, creative, funny, uh, charismatic. And it turns out there's still skills. You can learn all of those things. And who taught them to us? Somewhere along the way, some teacher said, oh, this will all be left to the reader. Go figure it out on your own. I don't think that makes sense. I think we must begin by acknowledging that soft skills, real skills matter. And then determined to make a difference, we should go learn them. And the best way to learn them is to practice them. That's what we do at Alt-MBA. But I'm not the only person in the world who's busy teaching these things. You can learn them in lots of places, but first you have to decide it's worth learning. It's worth learning. Hmm. So as long as people know where, they're, where there's opportunities to lead, opportunities to earn status, opportunities to connect, opportunities to make a difference, then it seems like people jump at those. Yeah, I mean, people who run know that they could run a mile a little faster if they train. The question is, are people at work aware that they could be a little bit more empathic? 
that they could be a little bit more energetic, that they could be a little bit more creative. Because if you are, you should go learn how to do that. Okay. Um, all right, Seth, is there, we talked about taking ownership of one's career by creating projects, leading, being your world's, your own boss, and um, how, to, how to be a little bit uh, better to yourself. Um, is there anything else that you think would be helpful for listeners? I guess the last one I'll throw out is please stop hustling. Stop looking for a shortcut. Stop imagining that there is some sort of magic method because there isn't. And that's just a distraction. That's just going to get in the way of you doing the work you need to do instead. And are you able to share an example of what a hustle is so people shouldn't? Yeah, I mean, one hustle that was going around the other day was, of course, you want an influencer to become your mentor, which is stupid. And the best way to get an influencer's attention is to have a conversation with them a couple times before you show up and say, please be my magical fairy godfather. So the first question that comes in by email is, hey, Seth, what's your favorite color? Because the theory is if I write back, then they'll write back and then they'll say, hey, Seth, what the, the, and I'm, blah, 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 blah. and then weeks later, they, oh, I have a relationship with him. He'll get me and I'll win. This is such an epic waste of time that the alternative is not to hustle up. The alternative is to generous down. Find people who need a hand up and give it to them. That if you can teach and organize and open doors for other people with no recompense expected, the universe will generally line up and give you a chance to do more. Generous down. I love that. Um, all right, Seth. In addition to your daily blog, the Akimbo workshops, books on sethgodin.com, is there anything, any other places that you'd like to point listeners to? Uh, mostly I want them to look at their work and do more of it. That would make me very happy. Great. Um, thank you so much, Seth. I really appreciate your time here and uh, so much of your work. I can't say thanks enough. An absolute pleasure. You are a role model and I appreciate your generosity. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Seth. Hey, friend. I wanted to say thanks again to Seth for coming on to the podcast. It truly is an honor for Seth for teaching, inspiring me in so many ways and for helping me start and create this podcast. Without him and Alexandra De Palma, I have not learned, created, and engaged with you here. So thank you again to Seth and Alex. This episode with timestamp notes is available on my website at PortfolioCareerPodcast.com. I'm really excited for you to learn from this episode and would love to hear any thoughts from you and continue the conversation where I post this episode on many different social channels. Please subscribe to wherever you listen to your podcast for my weekly Portfolio Career Podcast show. And really excited for you to build and grow your portfolio career. Thank you so much.